Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I'm glad you're here. I'm also excited about today's show with Andrew Anarma. He's a director of the Arkansas High Country Race, which isn't only an incredible, challenging, remote, self-supported, thousand-mile bikepacking race right smack dab in the middle of the country, but is also announcing a really cool program to help people defray the cost of registering for the race, thanks to a legacy left by a bikepacking enthusiast by the name of Daniel Collins. I can't wait to tell you about it. So, sit back and enjoy today's show with Arkansas High Country Race Director, Andrew Onerma. Hey, Andrew Onerma, honor your mom, is that correct? Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to welcome you to Bike Talk with Dave to talk about the Arkansas High Country Race. And to be honest, I'm super excited to talk about this race um, because, I mean, well, it's a thousand mile race in the continental United States in one state. And I just think that's super intriguing, uh, a bike packing race. So I'm very excited to talk about that and also hear about a scholarship that you guys have done. So um, anyway, Andrew, welcome. And uh, how you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, I'm always excited to talk about this race and this route. It's something I'm very passionate about. So any opportunity for more more people to hear about it, I'm all for it. I'm doing pretty awesome. good. I'm honestly a little tired. We were talking about this right before we hopped on. Uh, I just finished a good nine-hour ride. I haven't had a good ride in a while, and it was super dusty out there, a lot of gravel. I was actually doing some of the high country miles today at one point, and uh, pretty hot. And I came screaming in to the computer here about 15 minutes before we started. So feels <laughs> awesome. good to be sitting down in a chair, beer open. Uh, yeah, life's good. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Nine hours, that's a good long, long hike. Obviously, you ride and have a background in uh, in bikes. Who are you? And tell me about your relationship with the bike. The bike, kind of like with most youngsters, started off riding with like a BMX bike, just cruising around the neighborhood, pretending that you can do tricks, but you can't really do tricks. You, uh, <laughs> I still do that. With you. <laughs> <laughs> you launch out into maybe you explore the next neighborhood over, and that's really exciting, and you get permission from your parents to go with your friends, that kind of thing, and uh, not a whole lot beyond that until at some point in college, I got myself a really cheap fixed gear bike, and I started doing some more exploring again. I was using it for commuting to, to class primarily, but was having a good time exploring Fayetteville, Arkansas is where I was at and started delivering for Jimmy John's on the bike and uh, started having a blast with it. Kind of progressed over the years, eventually got a road bike. As soon as I got a road bike, that's when I was living in Salt Lake City. I could suddenly see the mountains. I was doing these big canyon passes and more like century rides were taking way less time with a lot more climbing and I was blown away by how much I could see in a day. And then from there, it snowballed into getting a gravel bike and doing it in a more backcountry setting on mixed surfaces. And ultimately, back in 2020 was my first time doing the Arkansas High Country route. Did that as my first bikepacking trip ever, really, apart from I did the Natchez Trace with a 55-liter backpack on and a fixed-gear bike a few years prior. <laughs> And uh, I was wearing like Adidas running shorts and a tech tee and then maybe some overnighters with a hammock and a backpack or whatever. But the the Arkansas High Country was my first proper bikepacking route. So I think that's a big reason why it's so special to me because I saw it from just this very fresh perspective of what's possible on a bike when you bring everything you need with you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, That's very different from delivering Jimmy John's. Absolutely. Town. That's for sure. Um, have you done the uh, the race? You've done the route. So the route exists. It's open. Mm-hmm. Anybody can like start anywhere on the route and do any piece of it or do the whole thing. Uh, I saw Ted King said a uh, FKT in 2020. So mm-hmm. um, that was the I year I did race. Yeah, it was 2020. Okay. And what I love about our race is that you can go clockwise or counterclockwise. And so Ted went went clockwise, I went counterclockwise. And for 
the first three-ish days, we were pretty much on pace with each other. So I was a local guy just trying to go nuts um, and make a, make a professional athlete try really hard in my home state. So I made it around 700 miles in, just really revving the engine, redlining the whole time, and eventually I uh, just cracked pretty hard. And um, having already done the route before, it was more about just – putting it all out there and seeing what I could do. And so I was doing very minimal sleeping. I, I skipped basically the first night's sleep, slept for 45 minutes the first morning. Um, yeah, just really testing myself. And uh, ultimately it helped Ted push out a really, really good time that we still haven't seen being beat. So um, yeah, that was my one race experience was 2020, that, that FKT year. Uh, yeah. Going toe to toe with Ted for a little while. It was a lot of well, fun. he talked about you. He uh, he talked about doing the um, setting that FKT in one of his podcasts, uh, King of the Ride. Mm, and yep. uh, I know you pushed him because was Laura was interviewing him for that one, right? It was his wife Laura. Uh, and yeah, him. yep, yeah. Yep. And That's he right. also talked to I hear, he interviewed somebody else. I can't remember who, but uh, he was um, talking about it. You know, okay. in another. But, um, yeah, I know you pushed him, so great job, man. You're fast. Thanks. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> a lot of fun. over a long period of time. It was a lot of fun, for sure. I'm curious about the history of that route. I, I'm super intrigued by it because, like, a 1,000-mile race is something you do across Alaska or, <laughs> you know, the Silk Road race is a 1,000 miles. Like, a 1,000-mile race is a, a huge deal in a remote area a thousand miles should qualify that thousand mile back country bike packing type of race mm-hmm. um what's the history of that route so chuck campbell creator of the route he has been a longtime cyclist was doing more and more with touring and bike packing and ultimately he was training for the tour divide and back in 2015 uh Usually I try to like double check all these things right before a podcast, but I came in <laughs> hot for this one. But his 2015, I'm pretty sure, is when he was doing his attempt on the Tour Divide. And afterwards, he basically was looking at all the maps of Adventure Cycling Association routes in the country, and nothing touched Arkansas. Hmm. And he's like, there is absolutely phenomenal riding in Arkansas. Why? Why is... Why is not why is Arkansas getting no love? I think is basically what he submitted to them. Where's the love for Arkansas? And uh, they said, "Well, let's see it. What do you got?" And that's uh, fair. That's a through fair uh, through Arkansas, the tourism and recreation, and combination with uh, Adventure Cycling Association. Basically, he had two years to work on a route and got some funding for it, and. Rebecca Rush was the first one to ever do it. And uh, so it was a really cool first person to come in to get their perspective on it. Rebecca Rush has obviously done a ton of incredible things across a lot of different styles of outdoor activities. And she finished and she just said that was legit. (laughs) So she says that's legit, then uh it's legit. And so Chuck basically putting in the time over those two summers primarily, he would always... The whole idea is you're connecting the high points, right? It's Arkansas high country. So he had it starting in Little Rock, and the whole deal is let's hit up every high point. Mostly you're in that pocket of northwest Arkansas. You get a little bit of the Washita's, but you work your way up into the Ozarks as well. You get Mount Magazine. You get Queen Wilhelmina. You get all these spots scattered about where he's looking for what is the hardest way I can connect all these things. Wow. And so there's instances where he would – find a connection, but then he would drive another road and then he would drive another road and he would always choose the hardest of the three every single time. So it's very much with the mindset of, I want this to be a a big challenge. And over the course of those thousand plus miles, um, basically you're getting more, more elevation gain than you are in the tour divide per mile. So it's, it's phenomenal for training for really anything in the country. Of course, you don't get like the desert environment. You don't get high altitude. There's some things you don't get, but as far as just riding terrain, climbing, and rough surfaces, it's it's really special. So, in a nutshell, that's kind of like the, the SparkNotes version of it. And then 2019 
was, hey, let's let's see people let's race on it. You know, it's, someone's done it, and uh, it got some good feedback. Let's uh, see what other people think. And so 2019, he actually participated in that first race, which I think is really cool as a route creator and then race director. And so he did that, and it was 18 other people, I believe, that um, participated that year out of Little Rock. And it needed a reroute right out the gate because uh, of some flooding near Little Rock. So that's the thing with a route this big is there's always something going on to where it's never that true Adventure Cycling Association route. And uh, that's something interesting about the race is any given year, you're like, okay, what's going to be different? Is it going to, is a, there going to be a landslide two weeks before the race? And all of a sudden everyone thought it was going to be one way and now it's another. Um, so the route's never exactly the same any given year for a race. So that's one thing to keep in mind, especially when people really get into that FKT subject and everything. Um, but yeah, so in conjunction with that, Brandon Pack up in Fayetteville, He's the cycling event coordinator for Experience Fayetteville. He saw this really early on, had been involved with some of the scouting for it and everything. He said, hey, how about every two years we rotate the host community so it, we keep it fresh? So instead of it always being Little Rock, went up to Fayetteville for two years. We just had those two years. Now it's going to be down in uh, Hot Springs. And then after these two years, we don't know where it's going to be next. It's whatever cities, cities reach out saying they want to have it. Um, but within this big thousand mile loop, Chuck also made three separate loops. So there's the Northwest loop, the central and the south. So that means every three year or every two years, you can be highlighting another small route, quote unquote, small route um, for other riders to try. So this year it's going to be the south loop instead of the last two years is the Northwest loop and then always the full. And then just to make it crazy, you can do it either direction. So clockwise or counterclockwise. Because why not, right? <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, yeah, that South Loop, uh, nearly 500 miles. Mm -hmm, it's just, a big one. Just that, that is a big one. With, uh, oh, a mere 32,000 feet <laughs> elevation. Yeah, Four and it's miles. really all in that, uh, I guess it'd be the western half of it, really, is where most of that elevation is. Mm. So a lot of it is relatively flat. So in comparison... 250 miles of it is very, very heavy metal, and then 250 miles of it is just like, whoa, that was that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair. You want people to say that was a lot if you put yeah. on something called uh, high country race. Mm -hmm. uh, how much of it is paved versus gravel versus is there any single track in there, double track, fire roads? Like, what's how would you describe the route? Yeah, for sure. Paved versus unpaved for the full route. I think we kind of just always come down to about 50-50 is what we say without uh, like actually going in and doing the math and trying to right. get it perfect. But about 50-50, but that unpaved surface, 50% is a lot of it gets very rough to where you're spending way more than 50% of your time on that unpaved surface. So very much so you are getting in double track, fire roads. There's times where you're like, this is absolutely not a road. I feel like this is just like a creek should be here. And somehow, <laughs> somehow it's considered a road. So do some, some hike a bike type of stuff, like big loose rocks. And I don't, I wouldn't say there's really any hike a bike unless it's just so steep that you just can't pedal up it. It's, you do get some rocks where I would say a little bit bigger than like microwave size between a microwave and a mini fridge. You get some like that, but it's it's not just like a solid road of it. So you can have that stuff scattered, but if you're going a little slower, you can try to pick a line and not have to get off your bike. Um, sometimes it's just really loose to where it's hard to climb up it. So we get these pitches of upwards of like 20%. And so if you're slogging uphill with a loaded down bike and all of a sudden you're trying to like basically walk a tight rope tight rope up this steep incline finding a perfect line sometimes you're like man i should just get off the bike and walk because i'm burning so much energy just trying to stay upright on the bike so right. nothing what i say is a mandatory hike a bike but i think everybody ends up hiking their bike at least a little bit yeah if you're single speeder you're going to be hiking your bike a lot <laughs> yeah well, i always say it's either either uh, in too big a gear, too small a gear, or it's just right. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. it will be too big, but that's, that's single speed. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, what? I know you've got three choices of routes this year, three quote-unquote races, mm-hmm. um, and maybe I shouldn't put them in quotes. Um, three races, 1,000 miles, the uh, nearly 500-mile south loop, and then the, uh, say it for me, you know, I, I'm in Iowa, and, and yeah. a lot of us say Awachita, and I know that's wrong. So it's the... The Washita's. You have the Washita National now, Forest. Washita would be W A S H A T A. So, um, not O U A. So yeah. Washita. I yeah. appreciate knowing that. Absolutely. <laughs> so you have the Washita Triple Crown, um, 187 miles. Going up to the thousand mile race. What? First of all, how many people will do that? Right now, I haven't been able to check today, but I've been checking registration almost every single day, a couple times a day. I think we're hovering at 29 people for the full, 29 for the south, and 25 for the triple crown. Wow. So kind of a pretty even spread right now. But yeah, that's that's the numbers. I think that'd be 83, 84-ish in total. Mm -hmm. And we'll see this inevitably there's a few people that say they can't make it that's been happening recently we've had it as high as 87 88 people and uh maybe a few more will sign up so uh yeah i think all said and done we'll be between 80 and 90 riders for this year so between the fastest and the slowest what do you expect i mean ted's four days 20 hours and like 56 minutes i think it's basically 421 yeah you were on pace for that you're for fat. about 700 miles or so, and Jay Peterberry, he had a super respectable time because he did in July, mm. and uh, his was like five days and nine hours. So he wasn't too, too far behind that. He ended up having to take his naps during the day because it was so hot. Where uh, uh, That's actually smart, and then he yeah. rode in the cool of the night. Yeah, and something um, to be said about Ted's year is we did it a month later than what we're doing it now, so it was more darkness it was colder um so there's depending on when you do it there's there's other factors that kind of play into what makes that time even more impressive um that's that's between two and 250 miles every day Mm -hmm. of hard riding that's crazy um what about the longest like how long might somebody be out there do you have a limit i don't have a limit so like technically the event is october 8th through 15th which that'd be uh like a saturday to a saturday Mm -hmm. and uh but the thing is if you're out there riding and you finish it you're gonna be a finisher i think that's really important where even if it's not part of the official dates because really just comes down to like insurance and the fact that like i need to go back to my real job like i can't just (laughs) (laughs) you know so um, you know, you do see events like Iowa Wind and Rock where it's you very much so have to make the time cut off and you're not an official finisher that year otherwise. And yep. I think that's really cool. And there's absolutely that style of race where it makes sense. But for something like this where it's just if you just get through the damn thing, I don't care how long it takes you, you are you're a finisher to me. So um, no time cut off. I think the longest time we've seen so far during a race setting would be around 10 days. So, I mean, 10 days is still, I mean, that's 100 miles a day. And yeah, it's not easy and miles either. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, and you're carrying all your stuff. Because the overall, yeah, the overall elevation gain is like around 80,000 feet. And so, like, that means you're doing about 8,000 vert and 100 miles for 10 days straight. That's, that's no cakewalk at all, especially that with is, the kind of stuff you're getting into. That is super intentional riding yeah that's not just saying like oh let's just ride until Mm -hmm. we want to stop and then we'll stop and it's 60 miles or 120 it's like you got to be super intentional to do 100 miles there's some big runouts too of resupplies and everything like that so yeah talk to me about that like what what did what should somebody expect and and i know it says like in your rules right there like no know where resupplies are so Mm -hmm. it's definitely on the participant to plan their Mm -hmm. uh, resupply their water their food but 
generally, like what can somebody expect as far as that goes? I would say for most of the route, you can go about every 100 miles, you should be able to get a gas station. Um, but you have to keep in mind the hours of these gas stations, especially when you're getting into these really rural areas where um, they might close at 6 p.m. And uh, the day's pretty young if you're trying to ride most, most of the clock, you know. Right. So that very quickly can turn 100 miles into 200 miles. And over down by um, Queen Wilhelmina and the Washita's, Mount Magazine, there's a big run out there with some, some of the hardest riding of the whole route where uh, it could easily be like up to 250 miles of a run out if you don't get the, the timing right. So or actually, it doesn't even matter if you get the timing right. It's still <laughs> going to be like 200 miles of no resupply. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's 200 miles. It's hard to talk about distance sometimes because what are you actually dealing with in those 200 miles? So it's more... I think about more like time and in that 200 miles if fkt pace is an average of 10 miles an hour over the course of the whole race then that's going to be it very well could be over 24 hours before you get another resupply so wow. yeah that's what about water long. bring a pump filter. always bring a filter absolutely and there's still going to be that same stretch down by uh, queen wilhelmina mount magazine Poto Mountain area where you might not be able to filter water for a good 100 miles or more. So um, there might be water, but you are in this weird low farmland for a little bit where there's cows and the water's been stagnant. And so you kind of have to weigh your pros and cons of like how desperately do you need that water? How confident are you in your, your filter? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if it's someone bringing in a stove, sure, you can boil the water, but... I think most people aren't really bringing a stove. Mm -hmm. um, that's like serious stuff. That's like you better, you, you don't go from racing criteriums straight mm -hmm. into this. I mean, this yeah. is, you better have some serious backcountry knowledge and experience yeah. before. Which, and this is in Arkansas. Just, yeah, this pocket of mostly like Northwest Arkansas, you get a little bit towards central. Um, but it's all, if you just look at the state of Arkansas, it's basically that upper left-hand quadrant of the whole um, whole state. Mm -hmm. And that's, whenever I finished it, the first time I was just blown away by how big of an adventure I could have in that state. So I, I had spent some time in Salt Lake City. I had lived in Alaska for a while, spent a lot of time just being a dirtbag out west. And after that experience of uh, bikepacking the high country, I was just like, this is my backyard. This is insane. Like, that's why I became so obsessed with it because I just couldn't believe that you could be in a city and launch out and feel that far out there at times. So, yeah, it's yeah, really and cool. If, if, if somebody said, like, hey, in the Mid-South, you could have an experience like this, mm -hmm. and you look, and there's Little Rock, and there's Fayetteville. I mean, the whole Fayetteville to Bentonville metroplex i would mm -hmm. say i mean it's all just you know metro and and you've got um, hot springs and all the other um major minor towns russellville's in there you'd be like well that's i mean that's no different than iowa where you ride maybe 10 miles and then there's another convenience store and mm -hmm. another 10 miles of dirt and there's another convenience store that's what i would expect mm -hmm. in arkansas but the beauty is, and again, that's why I'm so intrigued by it, is it's so backcountry and so remote and so hard, and it's in the middle of the country and easily accessible to Midwesterners. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to fly to Alaska or Kyrgyzstan mm -hmm. or, um, you know, do the 2,800-mile tour divide. Tour divide, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, but it's... I mean, it's just kind of right here and accessible. Like you can land yeah. at the airport and in well, this year in Hot Springs and get on your bike and go like, yeah. directly from the airport. That's yeah, super cool. And you can still get that with the South Loop, a hundred percent. Some of the most remote stretches of the whole thing is that South Loop, and the Washtenaw Triple Crown is. I mean, the Washtenaw Triple Crown is over a hundred miles of single track, and there's. 
basically one or two spots you can get a resupply and you have to leave the route to even get it. So it's, you're adding on mileage and hoping it's the right hours, but you know, you could be on single track for 30 something miles straight and not see another human. It's uh it's pretty incredible. That'll make you feel out there. And there's a, a stretch of the Washita trail where you're basically on a ridge line almost the whole time and you're never even by water. And that's the slowest going mileage of the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's so damn cool. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's that remote and that hard. Um, so you keep talking about single track here. What's the best bike? So like, if you're do doing you need the, a mountain bike, if you're doing the Washita triple crown, I don't want to say you need a mountain bike, but if you use a quote unquote drop bar gravel bike, or even a flat bar gravel bike, you're going to be pretty damn beaten up by the end. And the only reason I'll say that is because I, the only time I've done it, I did on a drop bar, um, like a, a fully rigid conversion is like an on one inbred. If you're familiar with those, um, buddy, uh, Todd Henny, let me use it. And basically I was like, Oh my gosh, I can go try this thing now. Cause I have a bike that's capable. It's maybe it's not ideal, but it's capable. And so a steel drop bar, 2.2 tires, oh. I was able to do the whole thing and it was single speed. So I walked a ton and, uh, the gearing wasn't right. Cause I didn't change his gearing on it. Uh, I just brought what I had and, uh, I had a blast. It was, it was phenomenal. So you can do it on, I mean, a fully rigid bike. I think going under 2.2 tires would be pretty silly, but <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask do, what tires. Yeah. Ideally, I think you'll see anyone that's trying to go pretty fast and really get after it. They're going to be on full, full suspension bikes and wow. they might still be doing that 2.2, um, or they might be doing a 2.4. It's hard to say. Uh, but a mountain bike is I would say if you're wanting to contest the front, you have to be on a mountain bike. There's just no questions asked for that. And that's in the uh, Washita uh, Triple Crown, right? Correct. And so that's going to be... How much of that translates to the other two uh, loops? Basically not at all. So oh, okay. you, you lollipop from Hot Springs out to it for the Triple Crown, and maybe you share the first five miles with the high country, which is really just okay. pavement leaving hot springs. But from there you're launching into something completely different. Ooh, and okay. so it's, it's just a brand new race. that's never been done before. And the whole reason is last year we incorporated the Northwest loop, which was 240 miles, which is really great for a weekend hero or just someone who can't take the extra time off from work or whatever. Um, or if someone's trying to dabble their toes in a bike packing, 240 is a, a more approachable distance versus now the south loop is 500 well it's like well shit we just doubled the distance of our short loop what can we do to maybe bring in some more people and so bringing in the triple crown not only does it offer a shorter distance where someone could do it over the weekend or maybe sub 24 it's also a, a bikepacking race for mountain bikes so that's just a whole new element that i think will be really cool seeing mountain bikes showing up to the to the high country. So that was like two of the main factors of it was just like trying to have another option to include more people and then just shaking up the style of riding a little bit too. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, ideal bike for the other two loops then. What I, uh, what I tell just about everybody is go to the 2022 rigs of the tour divide on bikepacking.com. Okay. Go to that, and that's that's a phenomenal baseline. From there, it's if you are say you are one of these people that want a gun for FKT type of pace, then maybe go a little bit more aggressive than what you're seeing as a, a tour divide rig. But I mean, for instance, for me, I I ride in Arkansas at the time, doing a lot of these gravel roads. Been changing my setup over time to what I think is best. Right now, I'm on a uh, relatively aggressive drop bar gravel race bike, but I can put, I have 50 C tires on there right now. Um, so I still think a drop bar bike is the move. Um, the tire doesn't need to be knobby. You can have kind of a fast rolling tire, but you need that volume. 
and uh, the bag setup, everybody's different with the bag setup, but capacity to carry at least two two liters of water is smart. Uh, and that's kind of if you're comfortable with running it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you're not, then two liters would be kind of like underselling it a little bit. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, I like the, I really love the Tour Divide baseline. It makes sense to me. I think comfort's king. And uh, although you're not covering 2,700 miles, there's plenty of sections where um, that bigger tire makes a lot of sense. Um, you head up in the big loop into uh, Fayetteville, Bentonville area. Mm-hmm. Do you hit any of the off-road trails, like the mountain bike stuff, or do no, you stay away from that? So it's gravel. That whole section, you're just on a um, pedestrian greenway, so it's uh, oh, okay, like I've a paved bike trail. Yeah, it's the yep. the Razorback Greenway is what's called, and you do yep. like around 30 miles of that. And the only single track on the whole route is if you want to basically take a detour by Hot Springs and incorporate. Um, part of the love it and um yeah there's only one person that's ever done that or two people have ever done it so zachary mccool and uh hayden phillips are the two that have done that so that's you do this big old thousand mile loop and you're like hey i'm gonna take a detour and do some like hard single track <laughs> while i'm, I'm at it in my head <laughs> but otherwise crazy. it's uh it's very much so a uh a gravel gravel and pavement race okay Cool. And what about overnighting? Like how, I'm sure there's a lot of private land adjacent to these roads and trails, really. You're going through towns and such. Like where do people sleep? How do you figure out where to sleep? There is a ton of public land. And uh, honestly, like when you're in the national forest, it's pretty commonplace for people just to like sleep right on the road or in the ditch right off the road. Uh, for the most part, people aren't really going to campgrounds from what I've seen. It's, you got post offices are really a favorite. These really rural post offices, um, these old town churches where it's the whole thing's made of wood. You open up, it's wooden pews everywhere. And like, it's a flip of the coin. If the door is unlocked type of thing, uh, cemeteries, a lot of people like using cemeteries. Uh, so even if the church is locked, then they might use the cemetery right by it. And um, a lot of people stay. There's there's hotels and motels. You go through these um, these scattered bigger communities and cities. So you could you could sleep inside the whole time if you wanted to, just making kind of big pushes in between. So like Ted King never did a like proper sleep outside. I think maybe at Hatfield he slept for a few hours waiting for it to open. But otherwise, he was uh, he slept inside at a community center once, and then uh, did hotels two different times, hmm. and uh, like a power nap here and there in a ditch. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting. Now we are talking on September eighteenth, and your race begins on October eighth. Mm-hmm. Your registration is still open. It is. Um, it seems like one would plan further than three weeks <laughs> to sign up for a thousand mile or even 500 mile race. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think the, some of the most important things for somebody to be prepared for your event would be? Really just studying that map. That's, that's probably the number one thing. It's, you can show up with all the right gear, um, you know, you can be ready to keep your stuff charged. You can have the the best bike ever. You can have all the bags. You can have all of that. But if you're not looking at the map at all, it's really hard to wing it on this. It's you can wing it to an extent, but you're also trying to do that for five days or more. And a lot of people end up pulling the plug, not because of a mechanical or um, any one thing is just like this mental warfare of it's the mental side really so going in there just knowing what your goal is for one I think is really important 
why are you showing up? Is it just to complete the route? Which I hate saying just to complete the route because completing the route is very, very hard. But if that's your goal, then don't let the, the buzz of the race get in your head too much. Just focus on what you need to do day after day and not be in a hurry. And that's going to pay dividends in the long run. If, you're, if your goal is to be competitive and try to be at the very front, then that's when it's more important to have a little bit of a game plan of what are these hours of these different stores? Do I need to get a ton of stuff here? Because I know I'm about to ride for 20 hours straight without getting another gas station. I'm riding through the night. So you can't really say, oh, I'm going to camp here night one. I'm going to camp here night two. You can't really do that because if you haven't seen the terrain, what's going to happen is you get out there and there's going to be a stretch that you think is going to take 10 hours and it takes 20 hours and that throws everything out the window. So sure you have this overall mile per hour average that you can expect of like over the course of this route race, say I'm going to average 10 miles an hour. It doesn't mean any given day that's my average for that day. So that's when people have two two set of a plan and it goes wrong, then it, it throws them off altogether. So it's really focusing in on how much do I want to ride per day or my, it might not even be that. It's just like, I just ride until I'm tired and then I'm going to sleep if it seems like the right time to sleep and then keep going. So on the, yeah, I guess going back to your question is knowing your resupplies, knowing why you're doing it and being willing to have a loose plan and not a very strict plan. Very good. I went up to the 2019 Iditarod Trail Invitational. Um, I did a film on it. And one of the things that competitors were allowed to do is mail themselves supplies. Okay. So when they get to um, McGrath, they know they've got a box of stuff that they know what is in it, their favorite stuff. Would you allow that? Would that be a legal thing to do? If they went to uh, went through all the effort to do it during the event and not before the event, then sure. It's uh, What do you mean during the event? So if you are at home and you're already mailing stuff to these different places, I'd say, nah, that's... That's, that's not really cool. that's not really the spirit of the event, but if you're on route and say you hit up a Walmart and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be out here for way longer than I thought, and I know I have the time off, and I really just want to complete this thing, and you go through the effort of mailing stuff to a future place and everything like that, sure, like have at it. You're doing it during the event itself, during the experience. Um, cause that's fair. That's there, fair. There like is that. this, there's this... There's so much talk about what is solo self-supported, where does it cross the line and everything. So for me, I'd say all the prep leading up to the event is getting to that start line, not already having things set up on course. Mm-hmm. Um, That's cool. And if anything is already on course, it's because there is some trail angels out there. Uh, I'm not opposed to the idea, so I've had a couple people reach out saying, I love this event. I have a house that's right on course. I want to offer up my backyard. There is a shed. If anybody ever wants to sleep there, I got a bike stand there. I got a refrigerator full of beer. I have uh, Wi-Fi. I got outlets. If, uh, if anybody wants to crash there, please, please let them do it. Uh, to me, I think that's cool pulling in the community and it is available to everyone. Um, and it is, it's, it's the race, you know, if someone wants to, uh, do the route and not utilize those kind of things or feels like, I don't know, it's, it's a big topic of discussion of where these different lines are. And I think Jay Peterberry makes a really good point of like, do what feels good to you and, uh, let the rest take care of itself. So yeah. he is, yeah. Uh... He definitely has opinions on all that. I, I hope to nail him down about this next subject that I'm going to ask you about. Um, Before we uh, jump into that, I guess like one thing I'd add is just like Chuck Campbell offered his house right out the gate. You know, his house was on route and he's like, 
like Jay during his ITT swung by and got pizza and beer with Chuck and then continued yeah. to ride on. So it's considering the future of the event, you don't want to be like, well, the event director was uh, happy to share pizza and beer and then move forward and say, no, nobody can offer anything. It's uh, right. you got to try to keep the spirit of that specific event alive. And so yeah. there's other events where that would be very different and that's not how it started, but the high country is what it is because of what it is. So you don't want to like start restricting things that have been a crucial part of its history and its, uh, its energy, I guess. Yeah. And I think when you look at other races, like the, um, I did our trail invitational and like, um, tour divide, uh, there are trail angels in there as long as they're available to everybody rock on like mm -hmm. they're, they're little, uh, well, they're trail angels little beacons yeah. of light on the roof yeah. that uh, can make your experience more awesomer than, uh, yeah. than it would have been. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so you you have in there very specifically in your rules that like no family members can like bunny hop and be waiting for you in Fayetteville to cheer mm. you on. Nobody can be, you know, on down the road to um, especially be there to hand up water or food yeah. or anything. but. You, you really discourage um, people bouncing along to cheer you on. And you also say no media, no personal media, which is such a big thing, you know, um, yeah. with ultra distance stuff. Because it's, to be honest, and I come from a media point of view, like they're great freaking stories, you know, mm, and it's a 100%. great way to tell a story. Um, so tell me about your. Um, what self-supported means. Yeah. So I actually want to pull up the, the website while we're talking about this. Cause I, I did eventually as like, I need to start putting some rules on here. And it was more so Chuck was like, Hey, you gotta get the rules on there early on. And so rules, the number one rule I have do it yourself period. This is a solo self-supported race. No personal crews slash individuals following you around or meeting you at prearranged locations on route. This includes media. The race will have a media crew covering the whole race, not any particular individual. Um, solo self-supported is, I mean, it ultimately boils down to you are doing it yourself. And whether that be calling ahead to a hotel saying, do you have any rooms available tonight? You do? Awesome. I'm going to be there tonight. I don't know when I'm going to be there, but I'm going to be there. Mm -hmm. um, say maybe you are completely out of water and you are knocking on a door of some stranger's house and saying, I need water. I'm in a very dire situation. Um, I don't encourage someone to be that unprepared to where they're at the extent of knocking on strangers' doors, but I'm not going to say that that's not allowed. That's, that's silly to me. I've done that in the past. I've been a little underprepared and I still end up having a really great race. And anyone out there is allowed to interact with the public world around them. So mm -hmm. to like try to put these restrictions on, you're not allowed to interact with the world around you is a little bizarre to me. So doing yourself just means that you're not asking other people to figure it out for you. You're figuring it out yourself. And if anyone else in the race could have came to the same solution that you did um, under like normal means, then um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Now, I mean, there are some like crazy outliers where you can't, if someone's just so filthy rich doing the event and they decide to call a helicopter to like get them out to another place and then bring them back, then, I mean, maybe we're crossing the line a little bit, but ultimately if you leave the route, you have to get back on route in the same spot. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't like putting too many limiters on it. Say this person does get a helicopter and they get flown to a major city to get to the hospital and they get put back on route. You don't want to say, well, like, oh, well, I, have this, uh, this career that allows me to have a lot of money. And I had that opportunity. You don't want to all of a sudden say like, well, this person doesn't make as much money as you. So that's not fair. You know, it's like, right, right. You're not really trying to compare person to person. You're just trying to, uh, make sure that everything you're doing is under your own, um, 
your own power. Yeah. And so there's, I don't know, it's, it's a tricky thing and it's evolving. And Jay's been very open about how the sport is evolving and there, there is change. And if you're too much of a stickler about everything, then you start excluding part of the population. Um, where if it's so die hard, then what about these people that just think it's cool and they want to see what they can do? If it's so strict right out the gate, they might be intimidated and say, maybe, maybe I'm not going to try. And that, that South loop or triple crown or full route might've been like a life changing experience for them. So you don't want to put out so many limiters right out the gate where someone decides, no, I'm not even going to try because this is too, too serious, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so self, so, Solo self-supported is just doing it yourself and being comfortable with your decisions. And I think when it becomes a bigger issue is whenever we are talking about FKTs or like podium spots or whatever. If if someone's very, very passionate about like, hey, I got seventh and they got sixth and I really feel like I should have got sixth place because they did X, Y, and Z, then sure, we can open up these conversations. But I feel like for the most part, people are happy with finishing and um, what other people are doing doesn't really affect them too much unless you're on the very pointy end. So I think it's this really big topic that's really just for a very tiny part of the actual community. So um, like, I don't know if you're out there for 10 days and hopefully you're not getting pissed at the person in fourth place because they, uh, they like went off route and got McDonald's and knocked on someone's door and like had a conversation with a stranger as they're crying, you know, like, <laughs> like, right, right. you know, so yeah, there's a, like you could talk about it for a long time, but, uh, that's like in a nutshell, kind of how I feel about some of that solo self-supported stuff. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head, but like it really kind of only does matter when you're talking about podiums and when you're talking about FKTs, because everybody else is like how long did it take me i don't mm -hmm. care how many people were in front of me or behind yeah, me yeah. how long did it take me and that's what it's all about so. and do they feel good about it at the end can they like yeah. roll up to that finish line and be like i am i am happy and proud of what i did if there's yep. anything along the way that compromises that that feeling at the end then that's the time to really think about it um but yeah, I just feel like most people are just out there to have a good time and like go do something really cool. And mm -hmm. so that's why I don't, I don't li love the idea of just like getting so serious on every little detail about it. It's more so like let, let the race happen. And if there's things that come up, then let's, let's have conversations about it. Um, cool. Yeah, so Very it's, fair. and I, that's coming from like, I used to be a little bit more I guess on that, that edge of very, very serious about every single aspect and like, no, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to take water from anybody and this and that. But the more races I've done and events I've done, that's like pretty damn special sometimes just to like have that interaction in a place that otherwise you wouldn't ever meet that person. So, yeah. Um, and it's yeah. probably always cool to have pizza and beer at Chuck's. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I just want to touch on media real quick mm -hmm. um, because that's, it's not really a topic anyone talks about. And I'm kidding when I say that. <laughs> um, uh, with social media and everybody's making a documentary and everybody's mm -hmm. posting on like they may have sponsors and the sponsors are like requiring them to post on social media. Yeah. They have crews and um, such that follow them around. And you say even media, like you can't have media that's going to meet you at predetermined spots mm -hmm. and that you, you being the race are going to have media out there. Correct. Will you like, will you share that media? Like what, what use would the athlete have for any media that you'll have? out there yeah so i mean right now honestly media is is kai caddy that's that's been our he's been our race photographer for the last few years he's been doing a phenomenal job just getting these these images that really help tell the story of the event it's 
Brandon Pack did a great job these last two years just like trying to basically give commentary on the race as it's happening. And Kai's been the guy out there running around, driving around like a madman, trying to get images of not just the leaders, but everyone out there. And over time, it does kind of turn towards the people leading the group just because there's more time, right? It's yep. you tell the story of that pointy end. And then as they finish, then you get to like get back to the other people that are still out there. And you try to tell the story for as long as you can before inevitably everybody goes back to the real jobs. Right. So, right. um, right now, I mean, media, media is Kai and, uh, it's me basically sharing all of it on social media. So Kai gets out there, he takes the photos and then I'm using the social media accounts to, share those those photos with more people maybe get some commentary of like hey here's the shot this looks really interesting what's happening here maybe it's it's ernie drinking a coca-cola in a gas station with this his whole jersey covered in salt and it's like hey it's it's day one it's really hot we have ernie in second place and uh he just really needs a minute to drink a Coca-Cola and have a snack and reevaluate his pace. Like just a little like snippet like that. Yep. People love that because yep. like the dot, you, you don't know what's going on with the dots apart from yep. the positions and that's it. And sometimes the dot is lagging behind where it's like, oh my God, I thought they're way back there, but they're actually, they're in first place. And so like, I, I love being able to tell the story and I think it's a big part of it. So um, Dot Watcher reached out recently you know, Dot Watcher, that's, they're based out of Europe, and they've been covering a lot more of the, the bikepacking events and ultra events. So they're wanting to uh, help broadcast it a little bit more on a, on a global scale this year, I guess. And so what they had just proposed was basically, like, here's a WhatsApp group where I can be sending messages, getting a little bit more race commentary on the bigger picture of, like, well, hey, so-and-so pulled an all-nighter and they're feeling great or so-and-so just got a sidewall tear like these things where yeah. just having it the race broadcasted a little bit more just telling the story again uh, but yeah kai's out there getting everybody i will say that so this year we have yawn of renee hearst coming out which is which is really cool um he's the guy that owns renee hearst tires and uh he's gonna go out there and test what he thinks would be best and he's a he's a strong cyclist and he did reach out to Kai. He's like, hey, can you get some photos of me that I can use for our journal? And so there was that moment of like, oh, is that okay? And the thing is, it's like, well, Kai's going to be out there anyway. So mm -hmm. inevitably, Kai will be in spots where he gets shots of, of Jan, and then Jan can use those afterwards. So Kai is not specifically following Jan around, but there will be convenient times where it's like, yeah, it's, I'm posted up in this spot for a while. I get riders one through 15 here and Jan is within those one through 15. Um, yep. so that's, that's kind of where it's like Kai is not his personal photographer, but Jan is going out of his way to say, Hey, I specifically want to pay you for some of these images afterwards that, uh, may be exclusive only to Renee Hearst. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's a good way that he approached it. And we may be seeing that more over time where, uh, instead of a personal photographer, it's maybe athletes will say, Hey, when you get images of me, my sponsors are going to pay you directly to have these exclusive images. Yep. If that makes yep. sense. So, Oh yeah, it does make sense. And it's fair. Yeah. yeah. I think. And that's kind of like this year, last year we did have film crews out there and we just had a documentary come out. And I think that was kind of like the, the transition of like maybe a little bit less media going into the future but um it helped get the story out there and the documentary was so damn good it was uh combi creative made it and um it's called the relentless ride and where's it available nowhere yet and they still aren't sure when it will be or where or whatever um they called their first one a screening because they don't once you call it a premiere you can no longer edit it anymore so did their screening and they're like yeah, maybe there's a few things we want to change a little bit. Like, I think it might be some, some subtle things where it's like, oh, the font here was um, with the, the subtitles in a moment. 
it was it blended in with the background too much to where you couldn't read it well. I think it's just little things like that. Yeah. And so um, I think it's going to be one of those things where 10 years from now, people are going to be watching that film and saying, I want to go do that, just like we saw with Ride the Divide, you know. Mm-hmm. So there are these special moments where uh, a film can inspire people to go go try something. So I love that that exists. And uh, I think it's just important where it's not like every single year you have a film crew all over the place. It's like maybe there's a particular year where it's like, hey, let's let's get the word out there a little bit more. Um, yeah, so media could evolve a little bit over the years, but moving forward for this next year, it's just going to be basically Kai, and maybe we'll have one more for, photographer out there. That's for everybody. Very cool. That's awesome. So we're uh, we're starting to bump up close to an hour, and I want to talk about the Daniel Collins Memorial Scholarship. Um, races are not cheap. It's uh, definitely a commitment to go do a thousand mile race, even if it is in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Easy to get to from anywhere in the country, relatively speaking. But it's a commitment. You guys have ha- um, made a scholarship available for entry fees. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about that? It's so basically it's you can apply to have your entry fee covered and entry fees last year was a hundred dollars this year kept it the same didn't raise it hundred dollars doesn't matter which race option you're doing it's hundred dollars and this gives the opportunity for maybe someone that's on the fence about can I pull it off we don't want it to say well like tough luck like you know if a lot of people that hundred dollars doesn't doesn't make or break whether or not they'll go but for the people where it might there's i love that we can give give that opportunity and um daniel was essentially a a cycling enthusiast that was getting more and more into cross-country touring and bikepacking and he um was interested in the arkansas high country um and he had excess money where like if everything didn't go as planned he wanted to pass it on to the cycling community and see further development of routes and community and so it's just this really cool thing where um someone that was passionate about it is just is paying it forward and uh there's a lot to be said about that and i mean moving into the future i would love to maybe even be able to see this entry fee go down you know it's it's still so young right now where it's it's important to be able to cover insurance and all the different costs associated with putting on this event but this is this is one small step we can take to try to help others out you're seeing it more i feel like in this past year where it's uh trying to figure out hey how can we how can we help out the community a little bit more as prices of everything is going up what can we do to keep the people in mind that are maybe just trying to get into it, but it's a, it might be a financial burden. So yeah, we have, we have three spots available. There was actually two of them used last year. We had five, five in total. So three available and uh, yeah, maybe we'll be able to bring in a few more. It's uh, something really damn cool. And if we don't use all three, say we use two this year, then there'll still be another one for next year or maybe uh, We'll be able to plug in more nonprofits and give more opportunities. So uh, the entry fee is obviously just one part of it. If you're trying to ride a thousand mile route in Arkansas, you're going to end up spending a lot more than a hundred dollars with uh, with food and lodging, everything like that. So uh, it's one one step towards what's hopefully going to be a, a big change to uh, try to get more involved is awesome i think it's a great way for people to get involved i think it's honestly a um something that other races could think about implementing in some way because you you mentioned earlier about not wanting to have barriers of um that would prevent people from having an experience like this and entry fee can be Mm -hmm. one of those barriers not just for your race but for Mm -hmm. for others so kudos i think that's awesome thank you daniel Not just you, but your race. How does somebody get involved? How does somebody um, follow yeah. the dots if they are interested? The, in I would say the number one resource right now would be uh, the Arkansas Country Race on Instagram. Basically, everything I'm doing that 
gets pushed over to Facebook. I don't use Facebook as much, but everything gets pushed over to it. There's uh, the ArkansasHighCountry.com website. We'll have you like some more general information. You can pull up the routes and look at the routes a little bit. Um, there's prior year uh, FKTs on it. There's some videos from people like Ted and Jay Peterberry and Scotty Lechuga are on there. Um, as far as dot watching, we're using Follow My Challenge this year, which I'm really excited about. They um, they seem to really be trying to step the game up with dot watching. They include a lot of different uh, analytics that usually aren't there. You can be seeing the wind speed of what people are dealing with, where they're at on the route, the sunset oh. time, sunrise time. They have this 3D model, so you can really geek out on like particular parts of the route where it's like, oh my gosh, no wonder they're going two miles an hour. Look how insane this looks. That kind of thing. Right. Um, That's awesome. That's really cool. And then they, uh, their rentals are the spot four. So it's like a, a tier up from what would be like a standard rental. So a little bit higher quality, which hopefully leads to a little bit better tracking. Um, that's going to be published on, uh, during the race itself, basically the bio will be the tracking link for it. Right now the bio on uh, Instagram is just the website. Um, but yeah, as far as during the race, Instagram slash Facebook, it's going to be a lot of a lot of stories, a lot of posts, just telling the story as best as possible and then trying to save everything to highlights where even if you miss a day or two, you can click on highlights and watch everything that happened that day prior. So um, yeah, kicking off Very October cool. 7th will be the pre-race meeting. That's when we'll start having some media going and then it'll be going basically until everybody finishes. So uh, it'll be 10 days or more of some high country stuff. And uh, I can't wait. I'm going to be down there. Uh, I'm going to be down there for cool. a good bit. So I'll be there to greet most finishers, which I'm very, very excited for. Um, this year it's through Jackalope Cycling, the bike shop down in Russellville. And, um, yeah, can't wait to see uh, what the future holds. But for now, uh, this year it's going to be good. Apply for the scholarship. The, uh, the best thing to that. do is just email race at arkansashighcountry.com. That's, uh, that's my primary means of communicating with everybody. So if it's a Facebook message or Instagram message, it's going to take me longer to see it. Um, but the email, I'm doing my best to be on it almost daily and getting back to people within 24 to 48 hours. Um, I, move, I move furniture is my day job uh 40 hours a week or so so there are some days where i'm just i'm pretty i'm pretty exhausted at the end of the day and i don't want to open up emails um but yeah it's uh if you <laughs> if you shoot an email over race at arkansashighcountry.com then um i would love to get you plugged in uh for the event and even if you just have questions in general that's uh that's the spot to do it because that's um the best way for me to keep up with all of it I good deal i was actually that. pretty proud uh, because maybe. instagram has you have your inbox and then you have like a secondary inbox and then there's even a hidden inbox. And I had a day where I, uh, yes. it was in the hidden inbox, which I don't understand why Instagram does this, but I opened it up and, uh, I think it was the same evening. And, uh, so I'm glad I did because this was a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode and thanks tons to Andrew for taking the time to talk with me and tell us all about the Arkansas High Country Race. Be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook at AR High Country Race. And check out all the details online at ArkansasHighCountry.com. And if you want to apply for an entry fee scholarship, send your request directly to Andrew at Race at ArkansasHighCountry.com. I also want to thank BikeIowa.com for serving as the online host for Bike Talk with Dave. Bike Iowa is your online destination for hundreds of trails, events, and news on everything cycling in and around Iowa. Join BikeIowa.com for the Capital City Cross Weekend on September 24th and 25th, 2022, which will feature some traditional cyclocross racing, but also includes a single speed race with a thousand dollar prize for the winner on Saturday, as well as some fun relay and short track events on Sunday. Head to bikeiowa.com for details. 
Thanks for listening to Bike Talk with Dave. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by rating, reviewing, and sharing. If you'd like to support the show financially, I'd love your help. Head on over to buymeacoffee.com and throw some change my way. If you do, I'll send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker. Bike Talk with Dave is a production of Summit Media Films, an award-winning indie film company that is not afraid of snow. Check out all of our films, A Thousand Miles to Nome, Down the Kuskokwim, and Reach for the Stars on the Adventure Plus streaming app. And you can get your free 90-day subscription by clicking the link in the bio. Thanks tons for listening to Bike Talk with Dave. We'll see you next week and keep the rubber side down.